You are now entering the transit zone. Welcome back to the transit zone. I'm Peter Clark in Melbourne, Australia. Margot Kingston in Comboin in New South Wales. We both acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we record and produce these podcasts, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Beerpai people of the Port Macquarie region of New South Wales. We pay respect to their elders. In our last Transit Zone podcast, we spoke with Linda Seymour, a co-founder of We Are Hughes, a community-based grassroots participatory democracy movement now actively trying to replace former Liberal Party incumbent Craig Kelly in the Sydney seat of Hughes in the looming federal election. Kelly, an intensely determined climate change denier and peddler of dubious and discredited COVID cures and unorthodox public health warnings, exiled himself in the Liberal Party room to sit on the crossbench in Parliament. The taking of Indi, a regional electorate in northeastern Victoria from its Liberal Party incumbent Sophie Mirabella in the 2013 federal election, when Mirabella was the only Liberal to lose her seat, has gone into Liberal political law. Local Indi woman Cathy McGowan achieved that win, Australia's first female independent member of our federal parliament. McGowan retained the seat by defeating Mirabella again in the next election in 2016, and Voices for Indi Independent Helen Haynes, whom we've spoken with here in the Transit Zone about a federal ICAC, won it again in 2019. That handover win, one independent to another, was another turn up for the history books. Zali Stegel in the Sydney seat of Warringah pulled off a similar community movement-driven win, ousting former PM Tony Abbott there in the 2019 election, largely around the issue of climate change. Aspirational community-based movements in a range of federal seats are now on the march, and all of them talk about the Indi model of grassroots democracy. So here in the Transit Zone, we want to explore exactly what that model is about, and why, and when it works, and when it doesn't. Cathy McGowan, welcome to the Transit Zone. Hello, everybody. Lovely to be here. Cathy, we've known each other for a long time now, since 2013, and I remember before the last election, you said, I've done my time, I've achieved my goals, I want to get Helen Haynes to succeed me, and then I want to retire. So something changed because a book came out by you detailing really the answer to the question, why independence? And then out of the blue, you convened what you called a gathering in late February to bring together people who were interested in the Indi model, interested in liberal independence in safe seats. Why did you call that gathering? And what do you see your role as now in this movement? It's a journey, isn't it? And it's often hard to know where the signposts are. But the story goes something like this. Exactly as you said, Margot, it was enough. I was tired. I was so tired. And then we had COVID. And Monash University got in touch and said, well, we want the book. So the book became a COVID project, which was a good thing to do, and I was very pleased to do it. And then when it was launched before Christmas in 2020, the response was amazing. Of course, that was that was lovely to have a positive response, but people saying, emailing, coming up from my webpage, well, we wanted to know more about how do you do it, what do you do, and can you help us? And initially that was fine, one or two or three or four was great, but when it got up into the 20s, it became quite a job. 
So the convention that we held at the end of February, and it's now online at gettingelectedcommunityindependence.com, was a response to the demand of people wanting to know about candidates, community engagement, and running a campaign. And I thought we'd probably get 55 people, and we got 300 plus. And they came from, in the end, 81 electorates around Australia. And in total, there's 151 electorates. So more than half of the electorates in Australia had people who thought that this topic was worthy of investing 11 hours over a weekend learning about. So that happened. And then is the enthusiasm and the genuineness and the morality of the people who are contacting me and us was such that what do we do with this? So that was one thing that moved me from a space of not wanting to do anything to do something. But also, as I was sitting here watching COVID, Margot, I just got so frustrated with the government. And I got particularly frustrated because they had an economic plan and they had a health plan, but they had no community plan. And as you know, community is my be all and end all. And I rang up some of my contacts in Parliament and said, what are you doing about community? And let's work at this at a community level and got absolutely no response. And that led me to this incredible sense of, well, the value add that I can add to Australian politics was in Indi, we showed that community works and that community is clever and intelligent and wants to engage. And when they do, good things happen. And lots of other groups are seeing that. And so I've moved to a place of being local about this to thinking, well, if we really do want to do a better job at addressing some of the major issues we're confronting, not just climate change, but also recognition of our Aboriginal heritage, what's going to happen when the Queen dies, the whole discussion about a republic, and what do we do about growing community, then we need to have more community-minded independence in Parliament. And I feel like I've got a role there to mentor, support, help in any way I can, and to provide competition into the system, which is, I think we won in Nindai because we put up a choice for the people. You can have this or you can have that. And they said, we want this. And I think that happened in Warringah as well. But now I want to go out and say, well, at the moment, we've only got the parties. They're pretty poor choice, particularly at the moment, I think. And imagine if we had independence, people of morality and strength representing their community as choices in electorates, and they got elected to the crossbench, it could significantly, I believe, significantly change not only the tone of the debate, but the outcomes from the debate. So that's where I'm at now. I've moved to, I can see where what we did in Indi has got national applicability, but I also see it as a really good thing for the country if we had more community-minded independents like Helen Haynes, like Zali, like Rebecca on the crossbench flexing their muscle. After the budget last week where there was absolutely no new action on climate change. And even before that shocking announcement, I felt that there was going to be a taxpayer-funded gas-fired power station because the private sector didn't want to do it. Malcolm Turnbull was asked, what is required for the government to change its policy and to do something on climate change? And this was his answer. At this stage, only the prospect of electoral defeat, whether it's at the hands of the Labor Party, which would seem implausible, or independents who are supportive of climate action. Very big statement by Malcolm, and as you know, he supported the independent in the Upper Hunter, New South Wales by-election. He does seem to be issuing a challenge to Liberal voters in safe Liberal seats, almost giving them permission to say, right, 
we are going to threaten your majority, Scott Morrison, because that's the only thing that counts. We are going to get together as a community and support a smaller Liberal independent, really. It has to be that, as you were, because you have to get enough Liberal protest voters to come across to have a chance. And after that, you have to get Labor and Green voters to say, enough of them to say, well, we're going to also put the first preference for the Indy. The Indy can only win if he or she comes second, because if she or she comes third, protesting Liberal voters will give their second preference to the Lib. So if the Indy comes third, it's all over, really. The community group has to push through the polarisation, get people of all colours to sit around and find some common ground and then work together. Now, that is big, Cathy. You did it in in Indi. From recollection, you halved the Greens vote and you halved the Labor vote. You were very clear that you didn't want to distribute preferences, which is a which obviously you have to do, but again requires a big educational task in the community, big education on preferences and so on. It's like a mega, huge, impossible task from these people. Most of them that I've spoken to are neophytes, have never done politics before, want to do it totally differently. I see you as like the unofficial patron of the movement. And I guess as the patron, it's your job to find the right pitch. How can you convince enough Australians to say, all right, you don't trust the system, you've turned off, you've tuned out, you vote for the party. How about you get interested? What you said to me and what I've heard from many people is why vote independent? So tell me where you're at with finding the pitch. Yes, and I'm really interested in an ongoing conversation. There's why independent personally, there's why independent for an electorate, and then there's why independent for the nation. And I want to start with the individual. Like for me, I couldn't manage either of the parties anymore. I was over it and the choice just wasn't there. The opportunity to be involved in participatory democracy was what I wanted. In Indi, we provided a model for that to happen and Helen Haynes does it and Zali does it and Rebecca does it. That's what I wanted and what I got. I'd have to join a party to do that. And I think in Australia currently, one in every 121 people is a member of a party. It's just not there. So personally, it was my civic duty and it met my need. From an electorate perspective, we've had over 41 independents in the federal parliament. In every single parliament, we've had independents since 1901. And since 1990, we've had independents in every parliament, in federal parliament, working there. So it's not a new idea. And people are regularly electing independents. I keep getting surprised when the parties go, well, why would you do it? Well, people obviously do it because it's in their best interests. But the thing about what's currently happening in Australia at the moment, I think Malcolm has alluded to it, is that the Liberal Party has swung right and has swung conservative Christian. And I was in Sydney recently and I met very well-heeled cosmopolitan Sydneyites who are not like rural Victorians. <laughs> and they are just over the Liberal Party. They're over the climate change, the refugees, closing the borders. Everything the Liberal Party currently is doing in government does not reflect their life. And that's where Malcolm comes in. Malcolm's saying, well, it's only going to get worse. They're going to go more right. So how are you going to vote to these cosmopolitan Sydney people? So the opportunity is there for an electorate to actually have somebody who's going to represent them 
which is profoundly important, but also, I hope, consult and engage and fill that personal need. So I think that's the enormous attraction. And labour seems to be so wishy-washy. People don't want to go to labour because it's not there. In Western Australia, they did, but I don't see that nationally. And then if you think nationally, you just have to watch Helen Haynes, Rebecca Sharkey, Zali Stegel, Andrew Wilkie in Parliament, and you go, oh my gosh, they're such outstanding performers. And they speak for so many, like over 25% of the population they speak for, and they speak with such clarity. And then they act like on climate change. It was Zali who brought this fantastic bill into Parliament based on the British bill. She's actually been the opposition on that. And then Helen, you mentioned with her ICAC work, but also with her local power work. So they're actually doing, for the nation, really good work in Parliament. And Andrew, really good work in Parliament. So why not independence, I think, is the question. And the other part, when I think about it, it's so fundamentally Australian. It feeds to the larrikin, it feeds to the independent, it feeds to Ned Kelly, feeds to so much of what I, th- what I see in Queensland, you know, that the people don't want to be corralled into boxes that, that don't work for them. That's what I'm seeing is this sense of, well, what could Australia be if we had more diversity of voices and opinion, if we had greater competition in the system, and we had people of character and community leadership leading that debate, People seem to want it, and I want it. I want it. Kathy, when we spoke to Linda Seymour just a couple of days ago here on the Transit Zone, Margot asked her what was her inciting moment to convince her to jump into the pool, to get the We Are Hughes movement going. Now, Linda told us that it was Craig Kelly's Facebook post after the two young firefighters died, and it was a really awful Facebook post. That really pissed Linda off, and that's what lit her fire to get stuck into this really heavy burden of political activism. Now, reading your memoir, you got that call from your nephew and niece after perhaps a a wine-inspired Fitzroy dinner party to talk about making Indi marginal after Sophie Mirabella had been in there for quite a few elections and had obviously disappointed a lot of people in the electorate. Now, of course, you had the train, you had education and training, you had health, you had telecommunications, all big and pressing issues there in the electorate. But was there for you personally something that lit your fire at that moment? Again, it was a journey. Underneath it all was this moral imperative that my federal member had not been in parliament for the apology. They'd actually absented himself, and that really upset me. And that had happened years before, and I suppose when the young people contacted me, that was the call about the standard you walk past And it was the call from these young people, was I going to actually step up to act on what I believe? So that was there. But also at the same time, my dad had recently died and at his funeral, I'd heard all the people talking about his life. And I suppose the young people rang me up about a month after that funeral. And I was thinking, well, you know, if ever there was a chance to do something that's actually going to put into place some of the stuff I I think about, it's this topic of seeing if we could make the seat marginal and getting better representation. Now, I never hoped it was me. I'd always hoped we'd find somebody else. That, again, was a a growth journey to me saying yes to being a candidate because in the end everybody said, well, you know, it's obviously you. You've got to do it. You know, you've been doing all the organising. You just need to do it. And eventually I could see that. I could see the logic of it. It was a bit of a journey, particularly standing, because it is a commitment. And, And as you say, Margot, it's no easy thing to try and set up a competition 
where you define yourself by being things that the party are not because the party's got so much worked out. Our competitive advantage in the end became our doing politics differently, our processes of engagement, our being our best selves. We didn't start out like that. We grew into that and we could see that that was the, the choice we were giving our community. And by being the change we wanted to see and really arguing about at the grassroots level what was that, we grew into being that change. And so when I became the member, we actually had to sort of work out, well, how to do this, how to keep doing all these things we've said we're going to do. It was easy enough in the short term of the campaign, relatively easy, to actually institutionalise it as being a member of a parliament was a much bigger challenge. But what I found is everybody wanted it. You know, that's why they'd voted for it. So it wasn't a lone journey. It was all these other people in the community They all know community stuff. They knew how to do this. What we were actually providing was an opportunity for them to get engaged, which is what they wanted. But the really interesting thing for me happened, which is an answer to your question, Peter, it wasn't really until 2019 when the community voted for Helen that I absolutely realised that we had done something, that we had given the community a choice they really did want and they chose it. Before then, it was always something else, but the community actually choosing it is when it actually went through my thick skull that it actually wasn't about me and it's not about Helen. It's actually about communities all around Australia want better representation and they want someone to help them organise around it. So it just feels to me it's a bit like one of those universalities, a bit like love and people want to be part of the government and want to be actively engaged in decisions that impact on them and they're not getting it so they will do what they need to do to get it. You're listening to another Transit Zone podcast. I'm Peter Clark with Margot Kingston in Comboyne, regional New South Wales. Our guest is the former federal member for the seat of Indi in regional northeastern Victoria, Cathy McGowan. Whenever you get a good independent, a representative who, the way I look at it, embodies the seat. Like Tony Windsor embodied New England. Zali Stegall embodied <laughs> Warringah, a liberal seat, a national seat. Speaking to Linda the other day, she just attended a big community forum in Warringah. 100 people turned up, some really difficult questions for Zali. It was relaxed, she answered them, there was a, she said there was enormous energy in the room. So you have constant, and I know Helen does this too, constant information to the community about what's going on, what the bill is, what the issues are, seeking input, constant feedback through community forums. And the most wonderful thing you did, in in my opinion, was bringing particularly young people to Canberra as interns to learn the process so they can get out. What you've built up in Indi is you've got a, a whole community who said, look, we can do local renewable power. Here are our beach with worth principles. We've had a huge meeting about um, ICAC and what we want, and here's our principles, here's where we want to go ahead. So I know there is enormous distrust in, in the community for politicians, quite rightly. They're in a club. A lot of them are self-dealing. They're in it for career advancement. They're in it to look after their donors so they'll get a big job afterwards. They're in it for tribal loyalty or whatever. The concept of service, that an independent is not there for any other reason but to serve, and to act in the community interest and the public interest. It doesn't mean that the independent has to find on every issue what the majority of the community wants. It's that the community has to trust the independent 
to act in good faith, to do all the research, to come up with how they're going to vote and to explain it after listening. Bring back service. Bring back what is a democratic representative, someone who represents their electorate and bona fide acts in what they truly believe is the public interest for their people. Absolutely sure service is right. You need to do that. But that's not the combination. It's not enough to be of service. But, you know, Qantas provides a service. You've got to get to the destination safely. And the people have to trust that you've got all the systems in place to land safely. But I want to just give you some some interesting other examples of independence, not necessarily federal ones. So Ted Mack. Ted Mack represented local government, state government and federal government. And he just didn't do service. He was a man of incredible integrity and skill and political nous. And so North Sydney is saying back to their Member of Parliament now, we want someone like Ted Mack, and everybody knows exactly what they mean. So he embodied effectiveness. He delivered. And so you've got to be able to deliver. That embodiment you're talking about needs to be part of your ability to actually get things for your community, not only represent them but deliver. Clover Moore. Clover Moore is another amazing independent local government. She hasn't been in federal government, but she was in state government. I think she's been Lord Mayor for 17 years because she delivers. She's not just of service. And I'm not saying just. I mean, she's got so many other attributes about how she represents her community. Another one is Peter Andron, was a member for Calair, which is Bathurst, that area. Uh, He got re-elected four times. He didn't have a community group like me. He called himself a really purist in his independence. He was able to deliver to that fundamental thing that I was talking about is the need for individuals to be heard, to be engaged, not only of service, but for an end, for an outcome. And I've been doing the research about the effective independence and they all deliver. They all deliver for the community linked to the embodiment that you're talking about. They deliver the things that speak to the personality of the electorate. They don't just do things, like the Liberals want to win Indi back, but they don't embody the values of this community and they're not going to win until they find a candidate who actually speaks to what this community wants of itself, like what North Sydney wants for itself is someone like Ted Mack. And I actually think it's there. I think it's a fundamental part of the Australian character. We just haven't had the choice in a sophisticated way. When I first ran In Indi in 2013, there were 12 candidates, I think five independents, but they didn't have the sophistication of the campaign and the process and the political campaigning skills to get there. And I think you absolutely need to demonstrate to your community that you've got all those skills so that when you win, you can actually keep doing things. You mentioned Peter Andron. One thing about Andron, who was an outstanding independent member for Calair, that he stood against many of the opinions of his own electors on Iraq didn't he, Cathy? It's about issues, but it's also about the character and the way of communicating with the electors. That goes to the heart of it as well. Do you agree with that? Look, absolutely, because when they vote for an independent, they want someone who's going to have all these skills that I've been talking about, you know, the ability to argue a case, to take research and to be a person of morality. And so what the people of Calair got with Peter Andron was somebody who'd come to a community meeting and say, I'm actually going to do this. And I want to talk to you about why I'm going to do it. And I know many of you don't agree with it. That's what I mean about that's what they wanted from their member. They didn't want someone who was just going to do whatever had to be done to get re-elected. They wanted someone who was going to do what they thought was right. And we've always had 
independent members of parliament like that who are able to stand up for that. So, yeah, I think there's a really rich tradition in Australia of independents doing really good work for their community, and that's why they constantly get re-elected. It's very rare for an independent to lose their seat. We know what it looks like when we see it. Getting the infrastructure in place to help community-minded independents get elected is a bit of an art, but I think we're getting much, much better at that now. And then I think being able to be competitive. See, you've got to be competitive. If you're not competitive against your opposition, the opposition will win. You've got to be able to get out there and say, which Helen Haynes did, the National Party, Liberal Party, but the Nats sent out all this false advertising, mailbox, right across the electorate, this stuff. And Helen called it out straight away. As soon as it landed, she got on the radio, she got on TV, she showed the flyers, she said, this is not how it is, we're not going to do politics like this. So she actually called it out with great charm, with great whatever. She said, we're better than this. And so that ability to actually go into the battleground with grace and I saw it with grace and charm and people could trust her then to go to Canberra and act in the same way. So you've got to be able to demonstrate to your community that you've got that competitive element and that you're able to take it up and then win. Like there's no shortage of people in rural, well, in Australia who can do it. But in the past, they just haven't chosen the job of being an independent. But I think that's changing. I think we're getting a much better sense of what what fun, what joy to be of service to your community, yep. to win, to embody the values of your community like Zali and Helen do and Rebecca Sharkey does and Andrew does, and then being on the crossbench and actually having your voice when the major parties are failing the country, people with ambition and people with a sense of service really want to be in that place because it's such a powerful place to have your voice heard. And people like Zali and Helen, again, and Rebecca, they're just personifications of the wonderfulness of coming to politics when you've got your career organised and you've got your skills under your belt and you're confident. Cathy, in 2013, you had people in your circle that were able to observe and perhaps analyse what happened in the Obama election. He was going for re-election as President of the United States and examine some of the grassroots political activism. What were some of the key takeaways from the Obama campaign you were able to bring into your campaign and apply? Well, particularly for that group, it was social media, and we adopted the Nation Builder platform that they'd used. So that was really useful. But do you know the fundamental thing? Getting the young vote got me over the line, but really importantly, it was understanding preferences. And my team understood preferences. And I just have to dip my lid to Ken Jasper, Ken Jasper was a National Party state politician who came and backed me because he said to the community that Cathy, in his opinion, is a better choice than a Liberal. So vote one Cathy, vote two Liberal. There was a whole lot of you know the party deals that had gone on. So that ability to get the backing of the Conservative preferences on to vote one Cathy, vote two Liberal also made a huge difference. So that's really what I mean about having the sophistication of running a campaign. You've got to have a few ducks lined up to make this work. What you were saying before, right in the beginning, Margot, about you've got to get your preferences lined up. Now, it's not so hard to do because many, many people, as they did for Karen Phelps in Sydney, in Wentworth eventually, will vote one for the independent and put their second preference to the major parties, which is what you need when people understand it. There's an educational role there. And and so, Peter, we were able to use social media to explain to people that one Kathy, two libs, two whatever you want, just give one to Kathy. And if you can't give a one, if you've got to vote two Labor, we'll give you give Kathy number two. So that was we had really simple messages. 
And the other thing we'd learned from Obama was to get the numbers right. I mean, so we would go to people and we'd say, we need one in four votes. And they would say, well, what does that mean? And I say, well, around the kitchen table, if there's eight people, we need two votes. If those people want to still vote Liberal, let them go. We, we don't need their vote. So don't spend your time arguing with people who are never going to change because they can still vote Liberal. But out of it all, we need one in four people to change their first vote. And that includes Liberal voters, National voters, Labor voters and Green voters. It did. <laughs> and once you put the value statement around it, be your best self, don't play dirty, be civil to everyone, have a smile on your face, once you put that framework in place, it's actually an extremely exciting place to work in. Whether or not you get an independent up or not, you learn about your electorate, you meet fabulous new people, and you work together on something that is profoundly enjoyable. And and that was what I learnt from watching and, and reporting on your campaign, is that everyone had fun. And part of that was this radical trust thing. Radical trust is where People sign up to your value statement and then you say, okay, you go back to your local community and you run your own events for us and your own fundraising and your own reach reach out. Obviously, highly risky in terms of people can come in and wreck it and, and all the rest of it. But it worked to see Helen, after you, who is not so well known as you, to have 1,850 volunteers as you say, when you've got the community behind you, that's when people will come out of the blue, talented people, people of integrity, people who want to serve to go, all right, if I've got all that backing, I'll give it a go. Otherwise, I would touch politics with a 20-foot barge pole. Yep, absolutely agree. What I've come out with from this is three words, which I'm sure you can do better on, integrity, service and delivery. Bit of a jumping off point. There's something else. That's what you just said. It actually speaks to people's want, Margot. It's not being done to them. People want to be part of a community where they're listened to. But I'm disagreeing with you in a bit because those words okay. talk to talk to the candidacy, which is fine, and the campaign. They don't talk to a community that actually wants something for itself. So you've got to have that first. The yep. community... It doesn't work if you just if you have the most clever person in the world come through and said, vote for me. But if the community doesn't want it for itself, it's not going to happen. The 300 people who came to our convention said, everybody we know wants what you're talking about. How do we get more of it? So linked to that is this the organisational structure, the the paradigm, the theory, not the politics of it, but the how you actually work as an independent to keep your independency, to engage with community, to be respectful of community, that's needed as well. Because if you don't actually have that that philosophy and that process, no amount of integrity or service or delivery is going to get you elected or keep you being elected. My memory of what you came up with of your two big policies were fix the trains so that young people can don't have to be expats and they can work from here and fix the telecommunications for the same reason. So you that, that was yours, black spots and trains. It's that thing about every electorate being individual, individual identity or whatever, which is why it can't be top down. But if each community can come up with, with a couple of things that unite the community, practical, that's part of it too, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So it's an ongoing discussion that we need to have, I think, on this. Yep. My final question, reading your memoir, We've been talking about grassroots and we're talking about large numbers of volunteers within the electorate of Indi and 
and the other electorates attempting the Indime model. But now take us into Parliament itself, that vast edifice, the long corridors, the sense of isolation, and of course, all that goes on in politics, the manipulation, the layers of ambiguity, the power plays. After six years doing that as an MP, an independent MP, what were your key takeaways? What did you learn, particularly what did you learn anew about being a politician in Parliament House? I was totally surprised to learn that I could be a community builder in Parliament. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I set about doing I set about deliberately doing it and it worked. We would have functions, we would have morning and afternoon tea, we'd invite people to come and on we had a crossbench Christmas party when I finished in 2018 and five hundred people turned up to the crossbench Christmas party. So we were able to build community and that was such a fundamental lesson for me because you could take what we'd done in Indi, we'd built community and we took it to Parliament House by being our best selves, by being a people of integrity, like that was new to me. It did such good work because not only was I a community builder, I was a networker and I knew things were going on. So I had I had community capital in Parliament House that other people didn't have. So it really played to me being effective. So that was a total surprise. I took to it like a duck to water and it became one of my absolutely joyous parts was networking and introducing people and spreading knowledge and, and building community. So that was a surprise and I loved it and it continues. And one of the other things that I absolutely learned was that Parliament wasn't my boss. When I first went there, I actually thought Parliament was the theatre that would determine things. But I, I learned over the six years that my boss, the people I was answerable to was always my community. Parliament was the place where I went to work to get things done but I was always accountable back to the community. So learning how to do that in a way that was effective because you're always short of time and resources. So how to actually get you be of service to your community is your number. The customer service is what, what you need to do, but getting safely on the Qantas plane to London is how you need to do it. So balancing that up was a really tricky art. And I had to learn how to put my really and truly be effective in delivering to my community with all those things you talked about, Margot, communications, networks, community meetings, letting them know what I'm doing, involving them, which are incredibly time consuming. That was the job. And then the Canberra thing I had to do, but not to get sucked into the party politics of Canberra, which was always trying to drag you in. So sticking to my knitting was a putting a box around a boundary around the job was I absolutely learned how to do that at a high level and keep myself safe you know like keep myself my own mental health keep it and you only had 24 hours a day so actually learning to manage the time and do that effectively I'd sort of knew about it beforehand but I I got much 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 better at it in that role I remember coming down on election day in 2013 and I remember interviewing you on the farm and saying, what are the national implications? And you said, there are none. Everything <laughs> is local. We do what we do and anyone else can do what they want to do. Yeah. And here you are now, the unofficial patron of a national independence movement. It's a new challenge, isn't it? How, how do you feel about changing your mind from being so certain to, whoa, I wonder if there, there is a national place for the, for the Indi way? Mm, all humbled, obviously, but it's a journey, isn't it? And 
you know where you are on your own journey. So I'm now I've done the book, and like Helen's now the really good member of, member of Parliament. So there's a place to play in that space, and I am really motivated because I absolutely don't like I was for Indi. The representation we're getting at the national level is not good enough. And if I can help make it better, I'm really keen to do that. Kathy McGowan, thank you so much for being with us here in the Transit Zone today. Thank you so much. Thank you to you, Peter, and to Margot. It's been a real pleasure talking through these ideas with you. Our guest in the Transit Zone today, former twice-elected federal independent member for the electorate of Indi in regional northeastern Victoria, Kathy McGowan. Now, her memoir, which we referred to during our discussion, her memoir is titled, Kathy Goes to Canberra, Doing Politics Differently. A very informative and enjoyable read. Highly recommended by The Transit Zone. Margot, thank you. See you soon. Bye. If you'd like to email us at The Transit Zone, here is our email address, transitzonepod at gmail.com. We welcome all your comments, your questions, your ideas for podcast episodes. Transitzonepod at gmail.com. I'm Peter Clark. Thanks for listening. And please join us again soon, right here in The Transit Zone. You are now leaving the transit zone.